Fana Aura, the government's more than $1 billion plan to pull struggling families out of crisis, is being branded wishy-washy as the public tries to understand what it is and who it's for. The Māori model of family well-being promises to give a hand up instead of a handout to those who have been relying on multiple social welfare agencies. But just how new a concept is it, and will it actually make any difference? In this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, social issues reporter Teresa Cowie has spent time with two families in Porirua, north of Wellington, to explore the issues they face. If you always do what you have always done, you will always get what you have always got. And I'm heartened by the Earlier this month, the government released a 70-page report on its whānau order scheme to help struggling families. But the lack of a good explanation of how the concept will actually work has kept many people baffled, and this attempt by the Prime Minister did little to help. I mean, I guess the way I look at it is it's a little bit like a waterbed. You know, if you push down on one side, you know, if you don't address the problems, you know, it's going to rise on the other side. And that's the issue, isn't it, that we're sort of throwing some money at one bit, and if we don't fix the other bits, the first bit you're spending money at is completely wasted. So we need to get a better holistic approach. The co-leader of the Māori Party, Tariana Turia, is the political force behind the proposal. She says a new approach to providing social services is needed. This is about something that people in the NGO sector have been asking for for nearly 30 years. We don't want to continue with a system that is failing. What we want to do is to transform people's lives, to give them the opportunity to restore responsibility to themselves. Mrs Turia concedes there's a lot of uncertainty about how the scheme will function because, she says, it's never been done before. But is the initiative really any different from previous policies and work practices that are already in place? For families who are labelled at risk and in need of help, what's life like? And will a change of approach have any chance of success? All, all these, uh, have you been this way before? No, See, I haven't all, been out All here. these old state homes and they're all, you know, some of these people here have been in the same home for years. And uh, a lot of unemployment here, heaps of it. Hikamate Naki is a social worker and tikanga Māori advisor with Wesley Community Action in Porirua. Mr Naki says he's already using a whānau order type model and has been for the past three years. Well this is uh, one of the whānau that I've been working with. This whānau has only been with me about five, six weeks. It's one of the new whānau, that's why I thought I'd introduce you to them. Eva Rehana and her former partner are bringing up three of their grandchildren. Their 23-year-old daughter, Piki, and her three-year-old also live there. Hikamate Naki started working with the family when the Rehana's 12-year-old grandson, Jakaya, got in trouble with the police. It was a Thursday afternoon and he hadn't been home. He'd been missing from home since the Sunday. And uh, his grandmum had just turned up at the park where we were playing uh, touch rugby and cricket and she watched us for about half an hour. And then she came over to me and said that her, her grandson hadn't been home for about four or five days. What actually happened is Nan asked if she could, if I could do some mahi with, do some work with uh, the whanau. While Jakaya is the principal uh, client, I'm working with the grandmother, the uh, granddad, the other, the other children, and I'm still trying to track the mum and dad down because they're missing their... And whānau order is all about that. It's about getting the whole whānau back together. But the first thing I have to do is make sure that 
those that are in the house at the moment are right they're supporting each other then i'll be trying to find the mum and dad later on down the train but anyway you'll hear their story as Eva Rehana shows me around the family photographs on the wall, I notice a space with a brass hook where a picture has been taken down. Yeah, that was Jakaya. I needed a photo of Jakaya when he went missing to take to the police station, yeah, so they know what he looks like. And that was his most recent one. Yeah, I had that up there, and yeah. it's here somewhere. I've got to put it back up again. You got it back now that you've got it. Uh, my daughter went and got it the other day. So I've got to put that back up again. She tells me the reason her grandson Jakaya keeps getting into trouble is because he misses his mother Amor, who she says can go missing for weeks at a time. Amor, who's 30, has six children, and her mother believes the family's state of crisis began when her daughter's youngest child died four years ago. He was three years old and we lost him and that was her heart because he was a very sick baby. He shouldn't have, doctors were actually telling us that he shouldn't have even lived. You know, for us to be prepared, well, it took three years, you know, and we thought, well, he's fine. And when we lost him, everything went haywire with our family, pretty bad. Mrs Rehana says Hikamate Naki is teaching her new ways to deal with her grandson Jakaya and her next goal for her family is to get his mother, Amor, to sort herself out and take care of her children. She needs a lot of um, help in the way of her um, coping because her way of coping isn't the right way. We've tried to help over the years. She tries to. I see every now and then she sort of comes back a bit and I think she falls back again. What's her way of coping? Oh, drink, I suppose. Drink and being around her other friends. When I go to the house to visit Jakaya a few days later, he hasn't come home. Oh, hi, Teresa. Kia ora. Hello. Hello. How are you? You well? Good to see you. Good to see you. Come in. She's giving the younger children their bath and tells me Jakaya's mother's finally turned up and he's gone over to her house. When the children are dressed, we head to Amor's house, a few streets away, to see if Jakaya's still there. It's a sunny Monday morning, and in the darkened living room, where a forgotten Christmas tree still stands in the corner, Amor and her two friends are watching television. Amor didn't want to talk, and we leave the house quickly to try to find Jakaya. Bye, my baby. See ya. Okay, so what's going on there? You He's thought that he was here. there, and now, now where is he? He's over just over here. All right. His that would have been nice. That's normal. <laughs> but yes, what yes. was that? What's normal? Like my baby's in high and all that. That's normal, but she's just... What, what, she, what was she doing in there? She's lying down. Yeah. She's on the benefit with the babies. All yeah. of them. But then she goes off and, and leaves you to look after them, even though she's getting the benefit. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, I don't like it. I really don't like it, but... Yeah, like when I have him both, you know, it'd be nice to give him a bit of for you to give, give me a hand. You know, I suppose this is the way it is. See Son! You. Oh, is that him over there? He your... saw me. Hello, my boy, come here. So they must be going to be living with their mum. 
What do you think about that? Well, are you going to come and stay with your mum now? Well, your mum's got this uh, reason that you're staying with her. Well, where were you? You're supposed to be at home when I got back from work. Jakai's sweatshirt is covered in food and dirt, and his grandmother takes him home for a shower. But she knows he'll want to be back at his mother's as soon as he can. Mrs. Rehana loves looking after her grandchildren, but would really like to increase the hours she works at her casual job. On a wolf farm, when they call me up, it might be like for three hours, might be taking cars off the ships and. Might be a one-off, because I'm not permanent at all. Wish I was. The Rehana family is in contact with a host of welfare agencies. Police, zips, um, counsellors, actually even the school system. Two main ones, I think, was um, police and zips. I really can't, I can't, don't know how to handle them. I mean, I do, but to keep them at bay... Under the government's new policy, a whanau order social worker would be appointed to help the family deal with these agencies. Instead of trying to fix the problems of an individual in isolation, the social worker would aim to listen to the family as a whole, find out what the complex mix of problems is, and empower family members to get themselves back on track. For those on the ground, this type of approach isn't new. Hikamate Naki brought the concept to Wesley Community Action when he joined as its tikanga Māori advisor three years ago. It was three years ago I came aboard the Moka as a youth worker. However, I also bought these uh, poly skills that I have and I've uh, continued to use them, if you like. And uh, some, most of the skills that I have are about working with whānau and whānau ora. And... Uh, yeah, and I just continue to use them, even though I'm only a youth worker. Mr Nake keeps in regular contact with the Rehana's child, youth and family social worker, Maria Rapanapaka. Kia ora, uh, be here? Uh, I'm calling in uh, regards to young uh, Jakaya. Well, he had his 12th birthday on the 24th, and I thought I'd just uh, call to let you know that it was quite successful. Yeah, I haven't had any, uh, been able to uh, catch up with his uh, mum and dad yet, but he's doing quite well. He's still living with his... Mrs Rehana Parker says she and her child, youth and family colleagues are viewed with suspicion. They face a difficult job trying to help families who don't trust them because they're worried their children will be taken into care. She says sometimes as families desperately try to cover up what they think agencies will see as a problem, they make the situation seem worse. They sometimes go underground, which basically means that they scarper and they take off, um, so that creates huge problems for us if we can't locate the family members. Sometimes families might lie or try and paint a different picture because they're worried about what might happen. Yeah, a lot of families, when we do knock on doors, uh, their immediate reaction, obviously, and response to us is that they will sometimes lie about their situations. They may lie about who they are. It's a matter of building rapport with those families and finding out a little bit more, making them feel more at ease, you know, and informing them, basically, about what it is that we're actually wanting. Mrs Rapanapaka thinks whanau order will be a help with getting families to cooperate with child, youth and family. Because a lot of families feel more comfortable and safer with the community agency because they know and understand that we have different roles. They're non-statutory, so therefore um, they don't have the powers that the ministry does. Weasley have already started that, and Hikamati certainly provides a lot of great support to the whānau that we have referred to him. 
Um, so um, he does that already. And I think what we can try and do and improve on is possibly um, sharing a little bit more information about how the ministry processes work so that he can share that with his whānau and therefore try and eliminate some of those fears that you know, a lot of families do have and that's the reality of the day. Working as a central point between the agencies involved with the Rehana family, Hikamati Naki also works closely with Jakaya's school and the local police constable, Pierre Nielsen. They catch up when they cross paths in the community, at youth programmes and sports events, and meet regularly at his office to chart the progress of the families they're working with. Kia ora, Pierre. Kia ora, Hikamati. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Come yeah. Come on in, mate. Good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Constable Nielsen became involved with the Rehana family via Mr Naki the first time Jakaya went missing. Hikamati was there. He briefly told me about this young boy, what the issues are, and if I knew him and that sort of thing, like we normally do, uh, to try and establish sort of common knowledge. And I... Went outside just to have a look, and there he was, sitting on the fence. I tried to talk to him and find out what's happening, sort of thing, and because I was there in uniform, and that's always... They're more likely to do a runner. Eventually, he actually disappeared, and um, that's when I went back to Hikamati and said, what's the guts with this family? Hikamati was going to do a few things, finding out from grandmother possibly where he was staying or whether he was coming back and that sort of thing. And from there, we just either ring each other or meet, see what each other can do. And, yeah, works well. Hikamate Naki says his whanau order approach is about supporting families to help themselves. But he says it can be a big challenge to get the men on board because initially they feel their mana or authority over their families is being questioned. The women are quite prepared to uh, accept the challenge or the opportunity to have discussions around improving uh, the whānau circumstances. Whereas men, we're still setting our, our old ways. This is the way our father taught us. You know, screw the ears, put us up the backside. You know, where mum and mum our, and our queers are, are prepared to look at other ways of, uh, of addressing any issues that... Uh, one of the men he has been able to get through to is Thomas Rameka, a father of eight who lives with his partner Nana Pairama and their children in eastern Porirua. Mr Rameka is a former Mungramob prospect and has spent time in prison. The 36-year-old met his partner on Christmas Day 18 years ago and says his drinking, drug-taking, gang connections and violent behaviour have put the family through hell ever since. He's been working with Hikamate Naki since he got out of prison three years ago. No, my family is here, but uh, this is my partner here. Hello, hi. Her name's Nana Pairama, and uh, yeah, she's the lady who holds the fort in uh, Amadali. It's late afternoon during the school holidays, and the older children are watching television while the younger ones play. Mr Rameka's partner is folding the washing in one of the bedrooms and I ask her what he was like before he changed his behaviour. Mm, I think like it is now. How was he as a father? What was he like? Mm, shocking. <laughs> Bad. You know, I wasn't there for the kids, neglecting them, 
abusing them and stuff like that. And you know, they even um, dared um, rugby on Saturday. I was like, oh, so what? You know, stuff like that. And um, I was a real prick, if you, you know, that's all right to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, who have we got here? We got Lyric and Taylor, our two youngest. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I used to be very strict with the kids. Just them coming in here, I'd snap, no, get out, you know. That's just how I was. Because, uh, like I said, it was all just about me, not about the kids. But now, you know, they come in, they can make a noise and, you know, just let them be. Jeez, why don't I just always just let them be? What sort of changes have you noticed in your children since Thomas started seeing Matua and he came into your lives? What kind of changes have you seen in your children's behaviour? Oh, lots. Heaps of changes. My um, older kids actually get into league, which Tom actually trains down to 15 Vikings. So, yeah, there's heaps of changes within the kids. The kids are loving it, Dad's back. Mr Ramekar's time in prison prompted him to give up his life of drink and drugs and he says Hikamate Naki has helped to turn him and his family around. Yeah, he doesn't really, like if I had to um, uh, run 100 metres, yeah, he wouldn't run it with me. He'd give me the uh, the inspiration, I suppose, the, the talk for me to be able to, you know, for me to do it. Physical fitness is now an important part of his routine. He goes to the gym six days a week and says it gives him the feeling that he's in control of his life. He takes his teenage sons, Credence, Chosen and Tyson and invited me along for an early morning session. This is Chosen here, he's just, um, I just like to um, make sure he does it properly and uh, so he doesn't injure himself I suppose. How's he going now? He, he's going alright. Tyson's mean. That's my other son. Okay, son, give us a little demo. This is uh, called a lateral pull down. Let's see it, son. Look at that. Christ, he's going places. Although Thomas Rameka is turning his life around, his criminal record means finding a full time job is difficult and he's still receiving welfare benefits. But he's also volunteering with Salvation Army, doing collections and deliveries for their second hand furniture shops. He's now reaching a point where his family's moving away from its dependence on social services that have been propping it up for years. But Hikamate Naki says it can be difficult when other families don't understand that Fano orders about becoming self-reliant and believe you're there to fix their problems. And that happens quite regularly. Uh, an example is um, if I've organised a uh, an appointment for them to attend an anger management or a drug and alcohol uh, session and they'll say that they, they want to cancel that or say they're unable to get there because they've got no money or, or they're unable to catch a bus or anything and would I like to pick them up and take them to it so I, I always come up with something like well if you're able to go to parties and get to uh, have a conversation with someone that you wanted to purchase some uh, marijuana off you were able to get to those appointments uh, so I, I, mean, I leave it to them. And when you encourage them to find their own way there, what sort of result do you get? Occasionally they don't turn up. That's when it becomes a challenge for me. I have to turn around and get them back in, have a quarter, and start renegotiating. And initially the conversation we have is around their priorities, getting there, getting to the because it's for their own well-being and wellness. However, I still hold firmly to my belief that I will not fix their problems. I will not just take them to the appointments. 
The Māori Party co-leader and new whānau order minister Tariana Turia says the new whānau order approach will realise the potential of families and restore their self-belief. And I'm not talking about nuclear family, I'm talking about extended family being engaged as well, reconnecting them uh, to their relatives, uh, because for too long we've had providers playing the role of family, and this is about encouraging family uh, really to do for themselves, to realise that the solutions lie with them. Uh, the practitioner's role is to support them and to ensure that they get access to whatever support they need. The emphasis on strengthening the extended family is all well and good, but for former gang member Thomas Rameka, some of his family were a bad influence. He says being in Porirua away from most of his whānau is actually helpful. When we had our first baby and second baby, while well, we were still living with our and around our parents, and so um, it was quite hard trying to trying to look after the kids and then you know you just turn your you turn your head a little bit and there's mum and dad drinking oh baby you'll be all right you know sort of thing and uh, yeah um I, I i actually came down here to get away from the um from the mongol mob and, and little did i know well Purirua is uh mongol mob as well so uh, but we, we've we've fitted in quite well down here Eva Rehana is originally from the East Coast, but was raised in Northland by her aunts and uncles after her parents died. A family tree hangs in her living room. This is a poster of what my nan made, and it had all pictures of the whakapapa on it. Um, it starts from my great-great-grandmother, then it goes down to my, my nan's mum. And then it goes down to her. Who's and here? My nanny. And who's that? My quarrel. And her brothers and sisters. Despite the importance um, of her whakapapa, Mrs Rehana has deliberately drifted apart from extended family who live nearby. Yeah, see, Uncle stays over here and his auntie stays up over here. And their school is just one street over. So it's all pretty close by. Yeah. You've got a lot of family around here in the It's Well I don't know them that well, you see. I don't know them and I because then they were involved with the Mungle Mob. They used to be. That's why I don't sort of I don't roll like that yet. Mrs Rehana says she'd love to go back and live near her family Marae one day, but it'll never happen because her grandchildren live here in Porirua. When the government's original whānau order plan was released, it talked about changes in Māori social services for whānau. But that created a political storm, and now its scope has been extended to everyone. Minister Tariana Turia. You know, let's be clear, you know, this is a concept. It can be translated into any other community. But those communities need to decide whether the way in which Wano order is structured suits them. I think it's very important that communities design their own concept. I've said that right from the word go. Uh, Pacific communities are already looking at that. I'll be working with the ethnic communities to have a look at what might work well with them. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. But the Labour Party's deputy leader and social development spokesperson, Annette King, says Mrs Turia has allowed the government to water down what should be specific help for Māori. This, as far as Tariana's concerned, 
is a program for Māori with Māori providers. She's never made any bones about that, and she's been upfront and honest about that. Where the dishonesty is, is the Prime Minister trying to pretend that it's something else, that it's for everybody. Everybody's going to have access to this, because I believe they've had some pushback from some of their supporters who would have labelled this approach as race-based funding. And I know that from personal experience as a Minister of Health. Whenever I try to do something to assist the low health status of Māori, uh, it was labelled in Parliament and on the hustings by the National Party as race-based funding. She says if it isn't specifically for Māori, it may mean existing policies could overlap. My questions to the Minister of Social Development and Employment. What work, if any, has she undertaken to extend whānau aura to all New Zealanders? Honourable Paula Bennett. Mr Speaker, I can inform the member that decisions are yet to be made and we're expecting announcements to be made as part of Budget 2010. The Honourable, <laughs> An- uh, the Honourable uh, Does she agree that whānau aura is a cross-sectorial whole-of-government concept which uses a structured process of government agencies and community organisations working together to achieve better education, housing, health and social outcomes for families, which both government and non-government and community organisations will participate in. If not, why not? The Honourable Paula Bennett. Yes. Supplementary question, Mr Speaker. Is she aware that the description I've just given is that of strengthening families program that has existed for six years, has been evaluated in and is operating effectively. And why are we going through this pretense to New Zealanders that the government's got a new program for vulnerable families and wasting time and money pulling the wool over their eyes? For those in the social welfare sector, the core concept of whānau order is certainly not a new one. The family-centred model's been taught to social policy students for years. Community workers have picked up the principles and integrated them into their work. And as Annette King pointed out in the House, some of Labour's schemes also incorporated the concept. However, Tariana Turia says this new plan promises a substantial reorganisation in the way social services are delivered. There's 20 providers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some providers employ up to 100 or more people, so there'll be many practitioners out there. Training has already begun out in the sector. People are already organising themselves for this opportunity, really excited by it. So, you know, they've taken responsibility, we're talking about providers now, for organising themselves for the future. Mrs Turia says the more than $1 billion being set aside to fund whānau order will come from existing budgets, and she rejects the suggestion established health and social welfare agencies will lose funding to pay for it. No one is missing out. This money is not being taken off other providers or other programmes for it to work. So, so where is it coming from? Well, I, I think that's, you'll find that out in the budget. But, um, you know, certainly it's not money that's being taken off other people, um, which is what the Labour Party has been scaremongering about. Soon after the budget, in July, the scheme is set to go live. This is when the 20 Fano order organisations are meant to be up and running. And with the model's core concepts already well understood, it appears, by social workers and community groups, the difference and challenge will be in how it's delivered and the structural reorganisation needed to make that happen.
That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. Technical production was by Colette Janssen and it was produced by Sue Ingram.